Good morning, Bill. Uh, hello, Mark. Good morning to you. Welcome to uh, a very miserable, dreary ocean grove this morning. Well, it is. I drove past the main beach before on my way here, and uh, it was a very choppy, high tide, and one soul out there in the surf. Yeah, it's a bit, yeah. bit, bit off. But anyway, um, so today we're flipping the uh, the interview process around. So you interviewed me a few weeks, and, and now it's your turn, and this will probably be our last um, chit-chat with somebody for the year, and then we'll do another podcast as a wrap-up for everything we've learned, but we'll we'll talk about that later. So, Bill, you know the um, the run. I where, think I where, do by now. Where, where did you go to primary school? <laughs> where did I go to primary school? Would you believe I went to three primary schools before I was in grade five, four? You so you weren't being expelled, were you? Uh, <laughs> probably in those days. No, I started off in Yarrawonga. Uh, my father owned a pub in Yarrawonga, and. Uh, my three elder sisters were all off in boarding school in Melbourne. So in very quick succession, I went to, uh, I can't even remember the name of the schools, the local Catholic primary schools, Yarrawonga, then to Cobram. And in 1953, uh, we moved to Geelong and I ended up at St Mary's Primary School, just near the jail. And then in grade four... Uh, I went to St Joseph as a boarder in grade four because in those days St Joseph's was a boarding school and they did have from four right through and that's no longer the case, of course. So did and you then, stay there all the way through? No, in year 10 I went to Melbourne. Oh, okay. I went to St Kevin's College in Melbourne and finished off my schooling there. So you could say I've uh, been around a bit. Been around a bit. So while you were at school, what were you looking forward to doing? What was your aspirations career-wise? Uh, oh, playing sport. Uh, no, um, I I didn't really have a uh, a set issue in mind or what I wanted to do. My father had a very successful business in Geelong, uh, a soft drink company called Noddy Soft Drinks, and it never occurred to me, you know, that there was a career path. But I went to RMIT and started doing a business degree there, and it was at that time the Vietnam War was on. And uh, I had been offered an internship in the UK in an engineering business. And I wasn't allowed to leave Australia because you couldn't get a passport until your marble came out of the, the barrel. And if your birth date came out, well, you were off to Vietnam. Anyway, mine didn't. And uh, I did one year at RMIT and then took off to the UK. That was, that's good. Yeah. And, and just, just going back slightly, how did your dad go from a pub at Yarrawonga to a soft drink company? Well, would you believe we really don't know? <laughs> um, but when the war broke out, the Second World War, he was actually um, had packed up his house and he was off to New Zealand because he had he was an inventor and he was big in radio in those days and he's also exploring for minerals and. Uh, uh, as well as making batteries, and all his raw materials came from Germany. So the day war broke out, that was the end of him. He was finished, and somebody lent, lent him some money, a good friend of his, and he went up to Yarrawonga and bought the pub and at the same time was employed by the army to help uh, sort out the munitions factory at Mulwala. And why did he come to Geelong and in soft drinks? We have no idea. Well, is it lost in the history. That's right, it was. <laughs> So in the UK, your year in the UK? Two and a half years in the UK. Uh, The best part of that was on the ship going there. (laughs) 
a small ship called the Fair Sky. Um, and that was just uh, 30 days of parties, I think, from memory. And so I got there and because I had this internship, I went straight to Manchester and worked in a, in a foundry and engineering company that made a bottling machinery for breweries and soft drinks because my father was a soft drink maker. And I'll never forget it, there was 1,100 blokes working in this, wow. this factory and they used to start early and the thing that always amazed me was, say, at uh, half past three, there was a line of bicycles at the time clocks. <laughs> They'd probably knocked off an hour before that. And here are all these guys uh, on their bikes with their Gladstone bags. You remember those yeah, Gladstone yeah. bags? And they were off. But, uh, and f- uh, from there, I was sent to Sunderland up near the Newcastle border Worked in another engineering company, and I was working. I was in their apprenticeship program. I wasn't an official apprentice, but they they whacked me in their apprenticeship program, and then I went to Birmingham and uh, I worked there in a brewery, and then I went back to Leeds. I worked there in another engineering company, and then I decided um, it was summertime. I was out of here. I went off hitchhiking around Europe for three months. But the interesting thing, going back to to when I was in Manchester. On Fridays, uh, they used to raffle me <laughs> because even though it was 1966, uh, most of the blokes had never spoken to an Aussie since the war. Oh, wow. And what they used to do was put my name up and put my name in a hat and whoever won, I went and stayed in their house for the weekend. <laughs> I'll never forget that. But a, a great – and in between, hitchhiking around Europe two summers uh, – Working in all sorts of odd jobs you know, in between, it was a wonderful experience. So, what brought you back? Uh, ran out of money. <laughs> the no, I knew nothing, I had. Nothing's to, changed, is it? So many people right. travel and then run uh, out. Of money. No, I knew I had to come back. I was going to come back and actually finish my studies, but that didn't happen. Uh, came back and uh, was broke. Uh, didn't have a car, so I got a job as a sales rep. Because what did you get with a car? You got a car. <laughs> And then um, I went back to work for my father. That lasted about four months, I think, from memory, <laughs> before we decided one of us would kill the other one. So I, I went to Melbourne and actually started the soft drink company and I was in my middle 20s by that stage. And I had that for 15 years in Footscray. And yeah. uh, it's interesting, guys. You, you, we forget that you know, soft drinks used to be delivered off the back of a truck Yes. Going up and down the streets, you'd have your regular drop-off, put your empties out, a bit like the milk. Well, yes, and in Geelong, the Noddy Soft Drinks was the family business. They had this uh, front door sales, which is uh, everybody remembers, but they also had a number of home delivery rounds, and we started these home delivery rounds in Melbourne as well, which was very successful. And then by sheer coincidence, some years later, I ended up working at Cadbury Swips after I'd sold my business and I was the chief executive of Lloyd's Soft Drinks, which, were, which was all over Australia. And I, here I was again running a uh, home delivery business <laughs> before the internet came and home deliveries. It's, it's interesting, hasn't it gone in a cycle? Because you now want your groceries delivered at home, you want to order them and get delivered. I wonder if there's still a market there for soft drinks to be delivered at home. Well... Not really, because in those days, of course, everything was in glass bottles. Yep. So you had to return your glass bottles, and that was the reason to go back. You know, so that those dynamics have all changed. They have, haven't they? And, yeah. and plastic's taken over, and look where we are now. That's right. So ran your own soft drink. But what, what learnings from the soft drink 
the business? Um, oh, it just got too big. The learning was that I tried to do it all on my own, you know, and um, it got to the stage where there was an opposition soft drink company and I uh, was friendly with the guy that owned that, or his family owned it, and uh, we, d- we got together and we decided to merge the two. And so we put it, and then it became a quite a very sizable business, employing some, you know, fifty odd people in those days. Um, and we had an agreement that if one wanted to get out of it, we basically you know, hand over a dollar, and you can have my share, and off you went. That was it was an unwritten agreement. And uh, Graham came to me one day and said, you know, he'd been through some family issues. He wanted to go off and travel the world and do all that sort of stuff. So I turned around and went to my brother and said, have you got a dollar? <laughs> and he took over half the business because I was trying to run it on my own, which was uh, a stupid thing to do in hindsight. And so we just started to build it up, get um, better expertise, you know, put in management groups and all the rest of it. And then we became, and as a result of that, we became the largest contract packing company in Victoria in mineral water and soft drink and did all the supermarket stuff and you know, made drinks for anyone. We're, we're probably an early version of what's happening today where anyone can start a brand. you just got to find someone to make it for you. Yep. So the question you always ask people yeah. is, what's your leadership style? If I went back to the Noddy Soft Drink Factory and walked around and chatted to people, what would they um, say? Oh, conversationalist. In other words, I loved talking to people and I loved getting them involved. And because I'd come from a family business that was the old school, you did as you're told. But we uh, implemented a lot of programs in our business that involved the staff. And it was uh, it was an interesting issue. And I don't know where I picked this idea up, but uh, and I guess it was because in England it was sort of command and control. And, you know, I knew that lesson very... I, I saw that lesson firsthand... So it was, yeah, to a certain extent, we're a family, but at the same time, uh, if something went wrong and somebody stepped out of line, I never hesitate to step in and do something about it. And, uh, you know, it was really interesting because we were also the first to employ Vietnamese when they arrived in Australia. So we actually took in the Vietnamese... We went out of our way to help the families. So it was this family atmosphere again. We found the, got the kids into schools, We uh, the older ones. We found them apprenticeships around Footscray and all the rest of it. So I guess my leadership style was one of, um, well, it's not about me. It's about my staff. And if they work for me, I've got to invest in them and because it doesn't matter where they go afterwards, but they'll always get a better job. And that was really the way I approached things. Okay, cool. Yeah. So what took you out of soft drinks? Oh, it grew too fast. We got too big. And it was interesting. You know, you and I have spoken about doing plans before. We got the Monash MBA school to come and use our business as a case study. And they did a business plan and my brother and I sat down at the end of it and looked at it and thought, where are we going to find the $4 million to expand the business as this business plan said we had to do because we couldn't generate any more mortgages and it was, there were, we didn't have the investors in those days that, that you see now, the capital guys. Uh, 
So we knew we had to get out of our premises because we were renting three factories. And we did the numbers and it was a lot of money and we just decided we just can't do it anymore. We can't afford to, to expand and we put it up for sale. And we sold it to a listed company, a newly listed company, and I became their sales and marketing director for a pet food company they'd bought. Um, and my brother stayed in the soft drinks and then I had a two-year contract and in that two-year contract, the stock exchange crash happened. <laughs> so I had to go back to – had to really get a job then and um, I went to Cadbury Swips and run a couple of their small divisions. And how did you find them? Uh, well, the lesson there for anybody in small business or family business is that um, how do I – corporatize a family business or a small business without killing it. So what I'm saying is that Cadbury Swips taught me about disciplines, it taught me about protocols, it taught me about systems and processes, you know, budgets, forecasts, etc., etc. all the things that a, a um, small business should have but don't have. But And that's why I do what I do now is how do you implement those systems and processes without killing the business. Yep. So how long were you at Cadbury Swips? All up uh, eight years. Uh, when I paid the last school fee in Melbourne, uh, the next day I walked in and resigned and walked out. And then what did you do? <laughs> uh, nothing for, a, for about five minutes. And um, I'd already lined up that I was uh, doing some work in franchising. So I became a franchise consult consultant and I did a mediation course and became our dispute mediator in the franchise industry under the Code of Conduct. So that's your start of doing the business mentoring? Yes, it was. Small business mentoring, family business? Yep, it was. And then I realised that, you know, it's um, it wasn't really what I wanted to do. But by sliding doors, which yep. we talk about, yep. uh, a family came to me and asked me for help. And over the years, I've helped many family businesses and... I've been on boards of family businesses and leads me to where I am today in um, uh, working with family companies. And some people say, what do you do there? Sometimes I say I'm a referee. Uh, <laughs> but mostly it's about what I said before. How do you get systems and processes into family businesses? And because in 2023, of course, the, by that time, the third generation's now in the business. And a lot of them either don't want to work in it or they need to go away, work somewhere else and come back again. And we've, we've found that, haven't we, yeah. when we've been talking to others on our podcast that are family businesses and oh. say, who's going to work in your business and who, what's your succession plan? And they all go, well, not the kids. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, the, remember you and I ran that workshop in August in Geelong and I, we had 30 business owners there. Yep. And one of the key questions I asked, well, who's got a will? Well, I'm not sure any hands went up. No, Maybe I think, I one think there or was two. one. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And that's part of, of the succession issue. And that's, yeah, that's fertile ground. It really is. So when did you end up, because one of the roles you have is being on the uh, non-executive director on Loverduck. Mm. When did that transpire? How did you get onto that? Well, that was th 14 years ago. And once again, um, through a family, might have been Family Business Australia, I think, uh, a connection with one of the the owners, one of his daughters, 
and I was asked to go in and do some sales training in there. And But whilst I was talking to the daughters, I asked them uh, about, I guess, the structure and how does it work and were they directors and yes and yes. And I said, asked one day, how many bits of paper do you sign? How many lease contracts do you sign? And all the rest of it, because your father puts that paper under your nose. And, of course, I got the expected response. And I said, well, why don't you go and do the company director's course? Which one of the eldest sister did, and she came back and convinced the father to formalise the board. And I was asked to be the first non-family member of that board. Very That's cool. how that came about. That's very cool. Yeah. And you and you always speak of Lover Duck with great affection. So you you've obviously enjoy your time there. Oh, look, it's it's been a great business. Um, and it, once again, it's a bit like I mentioned before, corporatising. They've moved on now, and they've appointed an external chair of the board. They've got a, a, a external CEO of the board. It's two hundred and fifty odd employees. Fantastic yeah. story, isn't it? It's a big small business. A big small and yeah. and predominantly based in Nil. Who would well, have known? Yeah, well, that's where it all started. <laughs> that's right. Now that's fantastic. Yeah. So, what are some of the 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 roles you're playing at the moment? Where, what are you doing, or what are you learning from the businesses you're talking to? Now? Well, what, well, what am I learning? Um, that's the other issue, Mark. Is I, I believe in continuous learning. You know that, and I'm always uh, on the lookout of how can I keep. Because a lot of things in business, I believe, are not new. It's just they're told with a different story. And, you know, for instance, you know, I still refer back to Dale Carnegie's book in the 1930s about winning friends and influencing people because that's what it's still about. But it's um, you've got to keep learning now because well, just look at the last two years. If prior to COVID I asked you about AI, you wouldn't have given me a response and we've had this discussion many times so it's about knowing what's happening I don't believe you have to know how it happens but you need to know how how why it's happening what influence it has you've got to keep on top of it because if you're dealing with private business clients a lot of them don't know either and they don't see the advantage of change that's really what that's about. So of all the businesses you've mentored and 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 worked with over the years what's the common theme that pops out what's the one or two things that the same mistakes or the same opportunity what what are some of the things that pop out well i call it vision strategy plan measure right so you if you don't have a vision how do you know where you're going it's the old story if you don't know where you're going any road will take you there and not many people, if you sit down and ask them, paint me a picture of your vision of the future, will you get a definitive answer? Uh, well, then the other issue, and this is all classic, our straight out of you know the textbook style thing, um, you've got a strategy. Well, you know, you, you could, the famous, you know, my story is, look, you can go to, you've got to go from Melbourne to Sydney. How do you get there? You can ride a bike, you can walk and catch a train, catch a plane. So what's your strategy? How are you going to get to your vision? And then you've got to have a plan. And once again, I use the simple explanation, would you build a house without a plan? Make a movie without a script? No, you wouldn't do it. And then, of course, how often do you measure it? Now, I think that the biggest issue with, with small business is they don't measure their, their KPIs and their, particularly their, their financials often enough. And they should be sitting down 
every month and they should have the right software and the right systems in place that they know every day, every week, every month how their financials are going. And that's an interesting comment because you and I both have these conversations when you ask people about how they're measuring their finances, they normally respond with, I've got an accountant. And you go, yeah, but what are you looking at? What are the, what are the reports you get? What are, and they've sometimes deathly silence. Well, this is where COVID caught most small businesses out, is that they didn't have a handle on cash flow. And then suddenly they've got this free money coming in from the government. And they just thought, well, you know, this will help me pay my way through it. But without a proper cash flow, that they, they were just flying blind. And we're seeing the results of that now. You walk down any strip shopping centre, major strip shop, shopping centre right now, and you're absolutely staggered, or I'm staggered, at how many vacant signs are up. You know, and I think that's all an aftermath of COVID, and it's an aftermath of people not having a plan. And, and, and it's interesting because um, the hospitality industry has a raft of people that think it's really easy to open a cafe. Um, just in my local street down here, the number of people that have opened cafes over the years and had no hospitality experience but got a superannuation check and then the whole thing collapses after about a year, which is really sad, but they just well, don't have the advice or the plan in place. You could say that it's too easy to start a business. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, which probably, you know, for a few years I um, lectured at um, RMIT, no, sorry, Vic University TAFE in the Certificate in Small Business. And at the beginning of it, you'd have 30 people in the class who's going to start a business next year. All the hands would go up. This is, And then at the end of the year, you, well, you wouldn't have 32. You'd probably have about 10 left. <laughs> and two of them were on start a business. And the lesson I learnt was by understanding a business, I better go and get a job first or another job and learn more about business before I start a business. You're a big, big advocate for education. Mm. So do you in, 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 encourage that in the businesses that you mentor and stuff, that they need to educate themselves and their staff? And oh, I'm a great one for short courses, for instance, and I'm a great one for TAFE courses at the same time. Or, and the unis have many short courses that people, I think, should be doing because all it is is a refresher. You're refreshing your brain. And, you know, because... Yeah, you know, people say, well, I've got all these degrees and I've done all this and they were 30 years ago. Well, hang on, the world's changed. So the theory hasn't changed, but what you put in practice has changed. So that's why I'm very keen on doing short courses. Short courses. So outside of mentoring and, and board work, etc., what what keeps you occupied? I, I know you do a bit of rowing, so talk a bit about that. You're a bit of a fitness freak at this sort Well, of and this came about prior to covid uh, just very quickly, I uh, was standing in the kitchen one morning and suddenly I lost the total use of my arm. And I thought, oh my Uh-oh. God, am I in trouble? And just prior to that, I knew I had prostate problems. So within a short period of time, in the six months before COVID hit, I was diagnosed with stage four prostate cancer and had that removed. I'd had that mini stroke, so I had to have another operation on my uh, on my neck. And thank goodness all that's come good, touch wood. But sitting there in COVID saying, well, this has all happened. I've got to get fit or fitter. So um, I hired a rowing machine, put in the garage. Well, 
uh, it's become an obsession. <laughs> and that, so walking, uh, gym, rowing machine, um, that's sort of um, my fascination now. I'm getting slower, though. I've got it in the, in the garage. I've got um, charts all around the world that go back now to prior COVID, and my times and distances are slowly <laughs> going backwards. But you are, are you competing online? Have you got it? Yes, online? competing. Yeah, I'm on a worldwide uh, concept two rowing group, and uh, but it's very disheartening when you see the other results <laughs> at your your age. But I'll just quickly step back one that. Uh, what really got me back into this is in my 50s, a group of us took up triathlons. And I guess because for many years I didn't do anything. You know, I'd come out of school, rowing, football, you name it, I was into it. And for years didn't do a thing, got into the triathlons and that really was the catalyst to, to start thinking, well, you've got to look after yourself. Yeah. So, Bill, how do people get in touch with you? Well, I have a... Um, a website called pointnorthconsulting.com.au. We'd love to hear from anybody and anyone wants to have a chat. I'm pretty good at buying people cups of coffee. Uh, And it's, you know, it's all about conversation. So get in touch. Happy to talk to anyone. Thank you, Bill. Great pleasure talking to you. Thank you, Mark.